G'day everyone, this is Greg Ryan and welcome to episode 38 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5000 podcast where we're talking IARM. and today we are joined by Kari from South Carolina in America who is the mum of 14 month old Luca who was born with IA as well as and she has a uh, another daughter Aria who is four year old. G'day Kari and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I've been through this journey with you for the last probably eight or nine months. I'm pretty much aware of all your story, and it's about time that you can share the journey, Luca. So let's just start at the pregnancy and what happened when you went for one of your checks. Yeah, so the 20-week anatomy ultrasound, they just they saw that Luca's head measured a little on the small side. So then they referred us to go see a specialist to do some more in-depth scans. And what did those in-depth scans find? They found some things with his spine. I think they called it a neurotube defect and also a VSD, the ventricular septal defect. Right. And there was nothing at all mentioned about IA at the time? Absolutely nothing. The whole pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. And a new, the neurosurgeon mentioned something to the time to you as well, didn't he? Well, he mentioned that with spina bifida, that that could affect bladder and bowel control if it were pulling on the nerves, but didn't really tell me anything about IA. So I, yeah, I didn't even know what that was at all at that point. Let's get to the day Luca was born and what happened after uh, Luca was delivered. So they had the whole NICU team in there waiting for his beautiful appearance to check him out and make sure, you know, he would be breathing okay and everything. And and the reason why the NICU staff were there was because of what they'd found in the ultrasound, wasn't it? Yes. They wanted to make sure he would be breathing okay and that his, the spina bifida, which is what they thought it was, which ended up being the tethered cord, they, they, weren't, they were thinking it was closed spina bifida, but they weren't 100% sure. Yeah. And when did they find it was the imperfect anus? Was that straight after he was born? I think it was probably in like the first 10 minutes when they were doing all the testing. I forget what that's called when they are checking those, the babies out when they're born, you know, and they have the numbers for like the, their color and, you know, how they're breathing and all that. That's when they found it. So once I found the IA, did they take him for further tests? Yes, they did. And they found that he had some stuff going on with his brain, the atopic pituitary, corpus callosum degenesis. They did end up finding his imperfect anus was high. They found the tethered spinal cord, some issues going on with his left kidneys. Believe you say caudal regression syndrome? Caudal regression syndrome, yes. Yes. Yeah. That is like his lower body and like spinal regions, um, not developing all the way. Oh, okay. He has a milder case of it. 
also Luca had stool coming out of his penis because he had a fistula. I believe it's called a rectourethral fistula. And he um, had his colostomy bag surgery at three days old. Right. And was Vectral mentioned at that at any stage then? A nurse had from the NICU mentioned, she said, I believe this sounds like Vectral. And then shortly after that, he that diagnosis was confirmed by a doctor. And how did you handle the stoma bag initially? It well, it was awful in the hospital. I mean, the nurses weren't even handling that well. Um, his skin got so bad. Almost his entire stomach and his his side was just red, bright red, weeping skin. And so the bags aren't going to stick to like oozing skin. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And then also... The skin that is supposed to separate the mucous fistula and the stoma, there's like a separation of skin between those two places. It, it had gotten so irritated and eaten away by all that acidic stool because when it comes out early, it's a little more acidic. And then when it sits on your skin, it just, you know, really doesn't um, do well on your skin. And it his it it disappeared his skin disappeared it just went away and it was just raw geez that must have been incredibly frustrating and horrible to for him and for you it was i tried to get so many people involved to help him i tried to get wound care involved which just was a nightmare i was trying to have email the surgeon and have the nurses email the surgeon to let him know what was happening and that was about the same time I realized that his stool wasn't even coming out of the correct place. It was coming out of the wrong area that they had told me. And I kept asking, are you sure this is right? Because it's coming out of here. And I could have sworn you said it was supposed to come out of here. And they're like, no, 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 it, it's fine. Everything's fine. And I just, it, I just knew every nurse manager, every nurse, he had a different nurse during the day. He had a different nurse during the night. I, I got probably four different nurse managers involved in that whole span that he was in the NICU telling every single one of them till I just couldn't say any, say it anymore. I mean, just till I was blue in the face and it, I was just completely disregarded every time. No, 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 no. Yeah, it, it was a nightmare. I even wrote a letter to patient advocacy and I never heard back from them either. And at that stage, it would have been right in the middle of COVID. When Luca was in the hospital, you wouldn't have been able to have visitors or take have any family support at all, would you? No, I was completely alone. Just it made everything so much harder. One, I think they were like short staffed on nurses and help from nurses because that was kind of that weird period that they were having trouble with keeping people employed. You know, I, I, I really feel like that had a lot to do with it. 
COVID was hard because of the the visitation rules. I would get to the hospital and that's right after I gave birth and was released. So I needed a wheelchair still. I couldn't really walk all the way to the NICU. It was a very long walk and I was struggling to walk. So my mom would wheel me up to the hospital doors and she wasn't even allowed to wheel me to the NICU. So they were like, well, Parker over there and you need to leave. And then I would sit there for like 45 minutes. But I also had a limited of time to be there because I had to get back to my daughter. I couldn't just like wait around. So if I had scheduled to spend like two hours with Luca, really, I only got my one hour, which was what it wasn't enough. Or I had to just will myself up there, which I started to do and probably pulled some, some ab muscles and stuff that weren't, you know, healed up all the way just so that I could get there earlier to see him. Cause I mean, they wouldn't even allow my mom to wheel me up there. So yeah, that just that alone was, was a struggle. How long did that last for? How long were you, were you so restricted in getting there yourself? Not to just being able to walk up there actually a little bit longer because then I also had to have some minor surgery on my leg and I had like a revision scar surgery where I couldn't walk on my leg. So actually the whole time, pretty much that he was in the NICU, I couldn't walk and I had to do that the whole time, have my leg up and everything. So it was a, it was a mess. Were you trying to get Luca to be discharged so you could look after him at home because it would have been so much easier for you? Well, I just thought I wanted to get him out of there. I I didn't think that they were obviously listening to me when I was trying to get the nurse managers involved, when I was trying to get wound care. Everybody was disregarding everything that I was saying about trying to take care of his skin, but they also weren't really listening to me either when it came to eating. He was on an NG tube like on and off the whole time because he went through a lot and he had, he was struggling to feed and eat the amounts that they wanted him to eat. And so they would feed him what he should be having. And then he would get sick and throw up for 24 hours. And then we'd have to like backtrack and then put him back on the NG tube. And then, you know, 24 to 48 hours, sometimes 72 hours, try again. And then he would do the same thing. And it was just this over and over and over process to the point where I'm like, why don't we just try giving him a little bit less and see how he handles that and then work his way up. And they're like, no, this is what he should have. This is what he needs. We're going to do this. And then we would just be right back in the same place. And I was just getting so fed up with that and the skin. And I feel like they didn't care about him and his well-being. And I feel like they didn't care about me and how I was feeling and what this was doing to us. And they were, I just feel like they weren't treating him very nice. How long after he was released, you you finally had the post-op appointment with the surgeon to express your concerns? It was very shortly after we were released from the hospital, I took him up to the surgeon's office for his post-op surgery appointment. And I told him I, I desperately had been trying to get in touch with him. And that's when 
he told me, yes, that he had done it in reverse. So his small and large intestines were mixed up and he needed to have an emergency revision surgery in a matter of days. I was absolutely shocked. And then I was really terrified because if we didn't have this surgery, I felt like he wasn't going to make it because also one thing I, I don't think I've mentioned is that he would lose the color in his skin and he would just like go so pale that there was like no pink and like any blood looking to his skin. He, I, I honestly like he even hate saying this out loud, but he would be laying, you know, sleeping and he would look like he was no longer with us. And I would just run up to him and check him and like, make sure he was still with us because he, he was just so sick. So yeah, I was terrified if we didn't get it done right away that he wouldn't make it. But then I was also, I was, I was so scared at the same time to let the surgeon who did it incorrectly do it again. But I just felt like I didn't have enough time to get him anywhere else. So, you know, I, we, we did the revision surgery. And how did that go? Well, it was a nightmare again. The PICU was a bad experience as the NICU was a bad experience. I don't think I even mentioned some of what, like even, yes, they weren't listening to me in the NICU, but I remember with his um, weeping, oozing skin, they would hold his arms and legs down. Like one nurse would hold his arms and then another nurse would hold his legs to do his colostomy bag. And they would put alcohol on his broken skin and he would just, you know, cry and scream. And then he would get to the point where he would just look at me and take a deep breath and then just stop crying. And it was like the most pitiful thing because he's like, nobody's helping me. Oh, Oh, that one, that one's a hard, that will forever be in my mind. And then they would look at me and they'd be like, oh, this is your life now. You need to get used to this. Damn, I, I don't know what to yeah. say. <laughs> so to the PICU experience. So right after his surgery, I was changing his diaper. There was no nurse or anything in there. I just got up and it it looked like it needed to be changed. And I was going to see what was going on in his bag and empty that out. So I open up his diaper and it's just this bright, like, or I wouldn't say bright red, like a, like a brown red color all in his diaper. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they've mutilated my child. They've mutilated him. This is worse. Why did I do this? I can't believe I've made this decision to take him here. Like, you know, I'm beating myself up and I'm, I'm, you know, running, trying to get the nurse. I'm like, you know, what is going on? What is this? Is this, is this blood? Somebody get in contact with the surgeon now. And for four hours, I was freaking out about the thought of them mutilating my child. And it was the dye that they had done before the surgery, you know, to see where everything was going before they did the revision surgery. And it's in his charts. All the nurse had to do was like read his file and tell me and not let me freak out for four hours. I'm like trying to get in touch with the surgeon. I'm like, call him now, you know? And it's just like, why'd you do that? Like read his chart. But then actually I forgot about this. So 
right when he was coming off the anesthesia, they got him to his room. He, he's, he does well with anesthesia, but his throat gets extremely swollen from the tube that they put down his throat. So it gets so swollen that when he tries to cough up the phlegm, he chokes on it. He can't, he can't get it out. So the, so his oxygen levels drop and like his alarm bells are going off and he's choking and like looking at me and I'm freaking out. Cause I don't, I don't know what to do. So I run out of the room. I get a nurse. I'm like, someone help me. And by the way, his bells are going off like on his door. It's loud. Why is nobody rushing in there? I have no idea. So I'm running out in the halls, like help me. <laughs> and, um, they come in there and the machine to suction out the phlegm isn't even hooked up. So the nurse is like, set him up, pat him on his back. I'm going to go run and get this. And she goes running down the hall. I'm like in the room by myself, patting him, you know, freaking out because this is all still so new to me. It's just like, why wasn't that hooked up? And I have another story for you. Okay. You can tell it. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Listening to your story. So that night, later that night, it was, you know, the day of the surgery. And then that night, it's probably... I don't know, maybe 1030 at night, I dozed off on the couch and, you know, kind of was like on and off. It, it was a long day and got, I, I woke up, I went and looked at Luca and checked on him and made sure he, everything was okay. And I was again, going to change his diaper and, you know, empty his bag and all that. And he was just off his monitors. And I thought to myself, I wonder how long, like he's been off of his monitors, so I, I changed his diaper. I emptied his bag and still no nurses in there. Still no nurse comes in there and he's not even hooked up. I mean, like I'm his mom, I'm I, at this point, I'm like holding him and, and he's not even in his bed. Now I'm just like pacing the room, walking around with him, trying not to lose <laughs> my cool <laughs> because I'm so angry I mean it's like building up inside of me like 45 minutes goes by an hour and 15 minutes goes by nobody came in there to check to see if he was okay I could have woken up to a really bad situation or maybe you know he could have passed away he, he just had surgery he's a little baby why is he not his vitals and everything not being monitored. So I am boiling now. I'm mad. So I walk out of the room and I'm in the room that's pretty much right across from the nurse's desk. And I'm like, is anyone going to come in here and put him back on his monitors? And the nurse is sitting out there looking at her phone, like scrolling on her phone. So that's one of the things I think it around like the COVID time, just the short staff of nurses and, you know, people not really wanting to work. I, I think it was really hard for our town anyways at, at our hospital to find good help. After you had the revision surgery, you then really started looking into trying to get a second opinion, weren't you? Yes, um, a lot of the parents in the Imperforate Anus Group USA were saying to seek out a colorectal surgeon who specialized in imperforate anus. And it hadn't even occurred to me that the surgeon who performed Luca surgeries 
wouldn't have been specialized in those kinds of things. So it was the beginning of my research to find out where is the best surgeon I could discuss Luca's problems with. I also want to add the hours and hours and hours of amount of research and Google and YouTube and the Facebook group I did prior to that. I mean, I, it was a full-time job. I yeah. even watched a surgeon perform the, the PSARP surgery. You're a better person than I am. I couldn't watch that. <laughs> but that's wonderful that you, you got so far into it. I did. And this was about the time that you and I started to have contact because you joined our one in 5,000 information group and you came across one of the podcast interviews I did. Yes, I found the rare and resilient one in 5,000 podcast that you interviewed with Dr. Levitt. And that's when I knew that's who I wanted for Luca. Yeah, and you reached out to me and I gave you Dr. Levitt's contact details at the Children's National. Yes, you did. I subsequently sent all of Luca's records to Dr. Levitt's team so that he could become a patient there. I then received a phone call from Dr. Levitt before we had a formal telehealth appointment. And as soon as I spoke with him on the phone, I felt like just such an immediate sense of comfort and relief for the first time since Luca had been born. That must have gave you a lot of comfort when you spoke to him personally. Yes. What happened next? Did you go and see the team or did you have the telehealth appointment? Yeah, we did the telehealth appointment with Dr. Levitt and then the members of the whole colorectal team. And then we arranged for Luca to come up there for some tests and scans. We wanted to just get done, obviously, at Children's National and not our local hospital. You can do these kinds of tests at your local hospital and you can forward them the information. But we, you know, just wanted to travel up there and get everything done at that hospital. So we did that. And also we could have done the surgery, the PSARP surgery then as well, but he had to do some other testing with his spine. And I wanted to do a second opinion for his tethered spinal cord. So he had to have the sedated MRI. And I just hated the thought of him being sedated and, and then recovering and then having to go through it again and then having surgery. So I spaced it out a month and then went back. And how did the PSARP go when you had that? The PSARP surgery, actually, he did so amazing with, um, so amazing that he was released in 24 hours. And actually, it's usually three to five days in the hospital. And he just did so well that they released him in 24 hours. They also addressed his fistula. So the stool that was coming out of his penis during the PSARP surgery. And after that, he was just thriving. I mean, you could just tell for the first time that he really felt so much better. So he, he was still having stool passed through the penis, even though he had the colostomy. 
Yes, he did. There was a connection there. So they addressed that. And instead of having, you know, two surgeries, he got that done during the PSARP surgery and they did it all at the same time. Okay. And did you go down the dilations track after the PSARP? We didn't do it after the PSARP. We are actually doing it now. And it was, uh, it was a journey. (laughs) It was, um, not a fun thing to do. He had developed a stricture. So we had to start doing dilations during that time. And now he's doing great. I mean, now it's really helping and, and we've gotten to the number that he needs to be at and everything seems to be working great now. Oh, okay. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. How long after the PSAP did he have his closure of the colostomy? I believe it was five weeks after. And how were you with, with that surgery coming up? Because that was going to be a bit of a change for you going from the changing the bag to changing the diaper. You know, I, you know, I, I reached out to you. I was not wanting to do it there for, I was starting to change my mind. I was a nervous wreck. I, I just, it just scared me. That one, that one's really scared me. We did it and we, we had some great support, Greg, (laughs) and he did, he did so phenomenal with that one as well. Yeah, I know that uh, with the time difference, a lot of the time that there was night time over and then you were in the hospital, you and I were chatting because it was the middle of the day here just to yeah, get you through. Yeah, you definitely given me peace on that. That one, yeah, I was, I was a nervous wreck, not, not going to lie. Now, something that we haven't discussed was how did all this impact on your daughter, Aria? Aria, she... she has done really phenomenal through the whole thing. She's very proud of her baby brother. She loves to show him off. Actually, one of her favorite things to say, when I grow up, I'm going to become a doctor nurse so that I can take care of baby Luca. Um, so she, oh, isn't yeah, that wonderful? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and she's so good with him. But it definitely has affected her just because he takes up so much time, like especially with the colostomy bags and me trying to figure that out. That was a a whole thing that took a long time to kind of master and a lot. Yeah, I just, it was a lot. So it took a lot of my time from her and already a new baby takes a lot of time, but then to have a baby with all these special needs. So it's definitely affected her, but I'm just, I'm trying to, you know, make sure she still feels special. Oh, no doubt she, she does feel special. No doubt. I want to say too, um, just going back real fast. I just thought of something for the, after the colostomy, you know, I thought his piece art, I could just tell such a difference on how well he felt. I just feel like he was just without that stool coming out of his penis and then with the colostomy bags gone he was rolling from front to back and rolling around on the ground and sliding himself on the floor like trying to crawl so that just gave me such great relief to see him thriving and like doing things like that and you know trying to catch up 
Oh, that's wonderful. You said you sought the second opinion about his tethered cord. And what has happened in regard to that? So we found an amazing neurosurgeon that Dr. Levitt actually suggested for us that works at Children's National. And he has since had his tethered cord surgery done. We did that there at Children's National. That one was also just such a success. This hospital is day and night difference compared to our hometown. I mean, they are just phenomenal there. I I just love them so much. I, I can't speak enough good things about about that three days after his tethered cord surgery, Luca was crawling, like crawling full time. And he's pulling himself up now. He puts his feet in his mouth. I never, ever thought that I would see Luca able to even reach his foot in his mouth because he was so stiff and couldn't even bend to even get close to his feet. And now he's like sucking on his toes. Um, so I just, I, I'm so thankful for Children's National. That's so wonderful. Now, how has it affected you as a person since Luca was born? Well, it's definitely made me a stronger person. Um, and it's really opened my eyes. I mean, I think I've always been a pretty grounded person, but it's just, it's really opened my eyes to so much more that I I just didn't even know was out there. I just didn't know. And it's been eye-opening. Did it affect your mental health because of what you were going through, especially in the initial stages when you weren't being heard? Absolutely. I felt like I was me and Luca were the only ones in the world going through this. I, I felt alone and isolated. I didn't know where to turn. I, I just, I felt like there was absolutely nobody around that could help. And it, it took a toll. I mean, it, it really took a toll on, on me and took me a while to kind of bounce back. And, and luckily the Facebook group saved my mental health because then I realized that I I wasn't alone and there there were other people. And then I started talking to moms that had children that were similar to Luca and, and that really turned everything around for me. Well, I know social media and Facebook has a lot of detractors, but what it's done for our community is incalculable, I believe. Yeah. So Kari, how's Luca going now with his bowels? His bowels are much better. Not perfect. It's definitely another learning curve, but the dilations, though they are not fun, they really have made a tremendous difference, helping him eliminate getting everything out and not struggling. It's it's much better. What's he on as far as a bowel management program at the moment? Is he on or is it just diet? Well, he will likely be on Senna. We've kind of played around with that a little bit. And Miralax from the stricture trying to keep, you know, keep it thin here and there. And, but he got some pretty bad blistering from the Senna. So right now we are actually finding that his diet has been doing well for him you know currently and that could change later but right now we're 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 doing pretty good without it hopefully we can keep it up but if not we'll we'll try out Senna or something like that later on is there anything else you would like to say just in closing 
I just want to say that, you know, through this journey, there, there's definitely been days where I wanted to give up and, you know, I would look at Luca and be like, nope, that's not an option. Can't do it. <laughs> um, but it, it was definitely, you know, I hard to cope in the beginning and I didn't have anyone there helping me decide where to take Luca, what to do, what not to do, where to go, what doctors is he going to see, what doctors isn't he going to see. And I just, I felt so completely alone. It was so much pressure. I could barely sleep. And I did have like support from my mom and dad and like family members saying, you're doing a great job and you're doing the right things, but nobody like helping me make the decisions for Luca. And those were just solely based on me and, and what my gut was saying. So I just want to say that if anyone is struggling to cope, to please reach out to me. I know what it's like to feel alone and I never want anyone to feel, feel the way I did. Okay. Do you want to give your email address so people can contact you in need, which I think is a great idea? Yes. It's Carrie, K-A-R-I, bug, B-U-G 88 at gmail.com. That's wonderful, Kerry. That's wonderful. So I can't thank you enough for being so open and talking through the roller coaster of a a journey you've had with Luca. I'm sure it's going to impact on so many people in our community who listens to it. So it's been wonderful to talk to you, Kerry. Thank you so much for having me and and listening to our story. I'm so glad to be able to tell it. And then I really hope that it does help people out there and especially help people not feel alone. I've got no doubt it will. Okay. Bye-bye. See ya.